Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 70 of Freight 360. Ben, good morning and happy new year to you, sir. Happy new year, brother. It's been a uh, it's been a good end of 2020, heading into this new beautiful year of 2021. It's so weird to say that. I'm I'm, I'm doing the the whole um, getting the wrong year and all that stuff. I was helping some agents out the other day with loads, and we're like, "Why is it showing a service failure?" It's because we were putting 2020 for the uh, for the uh, pickup and delivery time. So, gotta get used to that new digit there. So, anyway, if you if you guys are new. Welcome to Freight 360. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back to Freight 360. Make sure to leave us some of those reviews. We've been getting a lot of good feedback from folks through the website, on our Facebook group, LinkedIn, and especially in the reviews on iTunes and other different podcasting sites. Um, you know, Hit that subscribe button. As soon as we launch these episodes on Fridays at midnight, you're going to get that alert right away and you'll have access to it as soon as it drops. So that way you're Friday morning, Boom, you're good to go. Also, share us with all your friends in the industry. We're just trying to trying to share the love and, and get the word out there. We've had a lot of really good um, you know, opportunities in the last few months to get in touch with other folks out there in the media and broadcasting world with Freight Waves and you know, some other outlets and, and kind of share each other's communities amongst each other and get the word out there. So it's been it's been good, Ben. What did you think about 2020? I saw it, when, as soon as you were saying that, I saw a post the other day that made me laugh. It was a for the first time in history, hindsight is literally 2020 this week. <laughs> made me good. smile. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, hindsight sucks then. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know. As much as a dumpster fire of a year it was for most people, and obviously, you know, a lot of tragedy throughout the year. I mean, honestly, 2020, I think, was a pretty good year for myself. I think for both of us, for what we've been putting together. I think we've been able to capitalize on the fact that, you know, a lot of people have been working remote and being able to get people the resources that they might not have had had they been in the office. So, I mean, all in all, I think there's always that bright spot there that, you know, if you reframe it, there's a lot of good takeaways from the year. And looking forward to this year, I think we're going to have a great year. We've got some great announcements we're going to make in a moment. And I'm really excited for 2021 and, you know, what this year holds for everybody. Agreed. Agreed. So speaking of announcements, the big stuff that we've got going on with Freight 360, we've, you know, this is our third calendar year now with running this podcast. And obviously it's grown into, you know, a big educational outlet for folks out there, whether you're brand new, you just have some interest in it. You're, uh, you know, a younger broker, intermediate, you're a veteran broker that's trying to grow your business. <clears throat> we, we knew that we had an opportunity to address some of the issues in the industry. And a lot of that comes down to education and training and development overall. So later in 2021, we're going to be launching a training course along with coaching opportunities for folks of all levels of experience in the industry. And what better way to do that than, than to partner with some of the big powerhouses in the industry. So the first one is, is DAT. So Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about DAT and what we have going on with them? 
Yeah, really excited for the partnership with DAT this year. And it truly is more than a sponsorship where we will be partnering with them. So we're going to be doing a lot of great educational content with them. Um, You're going to be seeing some of our YouTube presence on their channel as well as on our own. We're going to be putting some great education stuff together and really just how to use some of their products. And I think as you put this best, you know, we looked at a lot of the people that reached out to sponsor our show throughout the first two years. And you know, sometimes you want to play for the Yankees. I mean, their data, <laughs> and you said it best, their data is the most trusted. It is the deepest. I mean, if you want consistent information and you want to be able to accurately predict what you're trying to do in the business, that's where you're going to go. And that's why we chose to work with them this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things, when, when you look at a sponsorship or a partnership with a big company, personally, you and I will only ever work with somebody whose product or service we truly believe in, let alone we use. So DET, obviously, for close to a decade now has been my go-to when it comes to data analytics and uh, load posting features. So I love the folks at DAT. Obviously, we've been, you know, we've had the pleasure to have Ken Adamo on as the chief of analytics, and we're going to be doing some more stuff with him this spring. Actually, really um, Q1. So before we even get to spring, we'll be doing some more with him. Take a look at 2021. But that's the key thing is to align ourselves for our audience and for our viewers with the products and services that are actually valuable to these folks and that we actually trust and use ourselves. So DAT is a huge one. Um, we're, we're also an affiliate with them now. So you can get a free month of DAT. Check out the show notes. There's PowerDat, Dat Express, Trucker's Edge. Take a look down there. You get a free month. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Dat Power. That's what all my agents use. And that's what I've used my entire career. So good stuff on that. Same here. And, and as, you know, to reiterate, these are programs. These are the products that we've used throughout our career that we know we trust and we feel comfortable putting our name and what we've built, you know, this audience and everyone out here listening and hopefully that we're providing resources to um, is going to be able to see the same values that we've seen in these products. And that's why we chose them. Yep. And the other piece too. So I've always been a huge proponent of growth overall as a freight broker. And a lot of that comes down to when do I hire? Should I hire an ops person? Do I hire a salesperson? Should I get a dispatcher? So, and you know, I I did a three-part series last year on the different, um, you know, the different business models of brokering, whether you're a licensed broker that owns a company, whether you're W2, whether you're a 1099 agent. And a big part of that comes down to putting bodies in seats. So our our second big partnership was with Lean Staffing Solutions. And they've actually got three different parts of their company. They've got the tech side, they've got the marketing side and the sales side with all kinds of really, really cool opportunities and options for folks to put bodies in seats at a very, very affordable cost. And they're they're extremely good at this and they focus on the transportation sector. So Lean's another really, really big one of ours. And um, I'm really excited to get Trey Gregg's on here in a few episodes to talk through some of the you know, the staffing challenges in the industry and when is the right time for somebody to hire within their agency or within their brokerage. So two really, really great partnerships. I'm looking forward to 2021, man. It's going to be a good year. It is. And, and just go a little deeper on, you know, what Lean provides and why we really feel this is a good fit is, you know, the vast majority of the, you know, our listeners and the market, even really the, the trucking companies and the smaller brokerages, this is a big thing. You know, how do you scale? How do you answer that question? How do you allocate the resources to do some of these things? And Lean really provides some great ways to do that with nearshoring, you know, and, you know, Trey will be on to talk a little bit more about it, but, you know, the short of this is, is you can get a much higher 
education level employee in Colombia than you're going to get for the cost in the US. I think some of the numbers they talk about is, you know, even three to one. You get somebody with a grad school level degree, you get two or three of them for the cost of one of those people in the US. So it's a great way for companies to be able to scale some of these departments that they might not have had access to, don't want to borrow the capital to invest in a marketing department, a IT department blowing out some of these sales departments. So they've done a lot of great things with the companies we worked with. We are personally going to be doing some work with Lean throughout the year and doing some of the things that we're putting together. So really excited for what they're going to bring to the table and for everybody out there. Definitely. And I don't want to spoil any of the details of the episode yet. Make sure you listen all the way through. But today's episode is on five ways to grow your book of business in 2021. And hiring is going to be a part of that. So stay tuned for the entire episode. And we're going to dig even more into that because I've seen this firsthand with a bunch of agents over the years. So, but first, Ben, we've got to do a quick rundown on sports. The NFL playoff picture is official. The Buffalo Bills were able to oust your Steelers and maintain that number two seed. You guys are number three. So you'll be playing Cleveland, but you're hosting them at home. We're going to be hosting the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday, or I'm sorry, Saturday, actually, here in Orchard Park, New York. I'm actually going today. You will be at that game, correct? Yeah, I have to go get my COVID test uh, this afternoon to make sure that I'm safe to enter the stadium. So, but I'll be in the uh, I'll be in the heated club seats, um, so it won't be too cold. Roughing it, but yeah, <laughs> roughing it. Uh, it was interesting how they did it. They did a raffle. No, not a raffle. They did a seniority based um, ticket purchase type of thing where, depending on how long you had season tickets for, um, you got to go in at a certain time slot throughout the week and pick if you wanted a pot of two or four seats. They limited it to like 6,700 people in the stadium, but huge win for Western New York. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, NFL teams around the country that have been able to do similar things um, throughout the year. But New York obviously has had a different experience with COVID and has different regulations and restrictions. So we're the first NFL team to require COVID testing for any fans in the stadium. So curious to see how it goes. Other big stuff around the, um, you know, the, the sports world. Um, Devontae Smith last night won the Heisman. Um, what, it was a really short little uh, announcement they did because it was all virtual and stuff like that. Usually yeah. it's a big, big New York City um, production and all this stuff. But um, other than that, basketball's back in, in full swing. And Oh, they moved the entire NCAA tournament into Indianapolis. I think they're playing in four or five locations in the indie area i just heard yesterday um, oh i didn't see that and i usually have espn running almost all day long in my in my office but that kind of shows how busy my day is if i'm not watching it so yeah. that's cool though glad to see the tournament back because they didn't they didn't play last year i don't think did they no or i think it was cut short and then the yeah. other thing i caught um tiger woods documentary on this weekend on hbo pretty excited for i think it's nice. a two-part did, series did you see his son and this is a couple weeks ago tiger's yes. son like i'm pretty sure he hit the green and two had an eagle, had the eagle putt, and this is like a 500 yard plus par five. And this kid's like 12, right? He's 11, I think. And <laughs> one of the amazing things was my cousin and I, big Tiger fans, our whole life, he was texting me videos back and forth of Charlie's swing next to, you know, Tigers. And I mean, obviously, not only is he his son, but I mean, he was raised by the best golfer in our lifetime. And it is just the one of the things that is really impressive is for a kid that small to be able to hold the club and the club not swing him. And every analyst said the same thing, like even some of the 11 year olds that you've seen that have really good golf swings, 
a driver swings them just because there's not much mass yeah. to an 11 year old boy. <laughs> and he really owns the club. I mean, he, even his swing, his presence, I mean, we'll see what, you know, the future holds, but it was pretty interesting to watch, you know, those two swing together. Absolutely. So let's get into today's episode. So today's episode is five ways to grow your book of business in 2021. I want to kind of set the stage here. Every, you know, I'm a big podcast guy. I'm a big educational guy. Everyone out there, all they're talking about at the you know, beginning of the year is, you know, setting goals and New Year's resolutions and, you know, make your goals, those smart goals, right? The, um, what is it? Uh, specific, specific, measurable, measurable attainable, realistic and time bound, right? Yep. So um, I didn't want to be generic and do that. I wanted this to be five good takeaways and these are realistic. Okay. So uh, five ways to grow your book of business in 2021 and if you're brand new, the second you get your first customer, you already grew your book of business. So good job. But th this is really designed for whether you're just kind of newer into it and you're already brokering, or maybe you've been doing it for 20 years and you haven't gotten to that next level. We're going to take a dive into five ways to do this. So let's get into the first one. Number one, and these might sound obvious, but we're going to give them some context and explain this. So number one, the number one way to grow your book of business in 2021, and again, these are in no particular order, but the first one on our list is to grow your current customer. So you've already got some customers out there. You've got a small book of business. Maybe you've got a large book of business. You want to look at the opportunities that you've already got with folks that you're already working with, right? You just finished up a nice year, 2020. It was a wild year. So the, the biggest thing here is take a look at some of the feedback you've gotten from them. Look at the performance and you know, how, how you actually provided for them throughout the year. And you want to try to acquire new business. That could be new lanes. That could be additional um, volume and specific lanes that they have, maybe new projects that they've got going on. But the, the current customers that you have, personally, I think that's probably your biggest goldmine in growing. Ben, what do you think? Absolutely. And I would say probably the biggest reason or the biggest barrier to most brokers on this topic is the the assumption, right? Assuming they are receiving everything and every opportunity they want with their customers. And most of that's because, you know, you've got good rapport. You've probably been working with them for months, if not years, you know them, you know, their kids, you probably know them because these are the people you go to work with every day. I mean, I remember my customers, like I would literally go to work and spend more time with my customers than some of the brokers sitting right next to me. So I understand where this assumption comes from, but you need to constantly realize that your customer is growing as well. They're adding new lanes. They're dropping lanes. They are getting new customers. That is constantly changing. And if you're not stopping and pausing for a minute and asking the questions, you know, hey, what are some of the other lanes that you're moving, you know, this month? Go into it assumptively. <laughs> Instead of saying, hey, you know, are you moving any more lanes? Go at it and just assume that they've got new lanes because yeah. it's likely they do. And you're going to be more likely to get some honest feedback. They'll start telling you some of these lanes. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the big things too is, you know, you, you kind of hit on the other side of the equation that a lot of people don't look at is think about what your customer, how they're growing, not just how can I get more of what they have is I always encourage people, and this doesn't have to be just once a year, but throughout the year, you know, every month, every quarter, talk to them, have that conversation about what do they have coming down their pipeline, right? And like you said, you should assume that they're growing. And if you have that mentality, that shows that you are thinking with them as, 
you know, a, val- a very valuable resource and, um, you know, as a value partner as well. So um, you're assuming that they're going to be doing well. And obviously you want to have customers that grow, right? Because if a customer is not growing, they're ultimately shrinking and they're going to go out of business at some point. So I like to recommend having those conversations about what does their pipeline look like? What does the future look like? And also, don't just assume because they're growing and you had the conversation that they're just going to give you more freight. You have to have that conversation. You have to ask for the sale, right? The close is all in your control. That's my opinion on it. Absolutely. And it's and it's looking into the future, but it's also framing that strategic conversation with your customer, asking them. One of my favorite ways to get insight into where that company's going is I would have some contacts usually in the sales department within the company. So, I mean, obviously it varies from size of company of your customer and who you're working with, but in a lot of cases you can get some contacts or even build some relationships with their sales reps because in a lot of cases, they also want to know what the quote is on shipping when they're talking to their customers. And that gives you some insight into the new business they're trying to close. Yep. So I remember I would have like a whole Excel list of some of my customers as their sales reps were telling me they were looking at their pipeline like, hey, we're looking to close a big contract next month. It's an extra 50 lanes a month. We would quote that and yeah, they would win some, they wouldn't win all of them, but you become a trusted partner of that division of the company. And you really are strategically aligned with where you want your customer to be going the same way you want to grow, they want to grow as well. Yep. So I'm going to give you another another way to look at this too. So, and I dealt with this yesterday actually. So one of my agents works with um, a fairly large national freight forwarder. It's one of his customers. And obviously these freight forwarders have multiple branches and they're typically located in big metro areas near airports, right? Because that's where a lot of freight's coming in and out. So one station or one branch might be your current customer. But if you're already an approved vendor for that company at a national level through their headquarters, you likely have an opportunity to get in with other branches. So you want to look at expanding into the other outlets that they have. So let's say you're working with the Chicago branch. Well, you should probably take take a look at that relationship you've got. If you're doing well, ask for the referral or the introduction to the Atlanta branch or the Charleston branch or the you know, DFW branch or LA, right? These are all ways to go about growing your presence within an existing organization. So especially, so the guy I talked to yesterday, one of the things that happened was his rep from the one station went to another station. So he right away was able to slide in and with other referrals as well, he said his, the whole way that he goes about doing it is that, you know, whether it's two months or two years to start moving freight for a new station, he stays in front of them constantly. He, he stays at the top of their mind. They recognize his name. So when those emails come out or those phone calls pop up, they recognize, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. He's working with you know the Chicago and the Atlanta branch right now. Uh, we're having issues with our folks over at ABC Logistics. Let's give him a shot and see how he can do on these ones. So, so that's a really that's good a great- way to do it. And that's a great segue right into number two, gaining new customers. One of the most effective ways I've seen used and coached is using your current customers to gain new customers, right? We've talked about this in previous episodes, BOL prospecting. But if you think about it, right, testimonials. And I've, I mean, I was one of the people that didn't think testimonials or referrals in this business really mattered when I was a broker. But as I got more tenured, I realized how valuable and how much easier of a sale it is, is to go to your customers, customers, right? Yeah. And that's, hey, if I'm shipping- BOL, like you were saying, yep. Right. Like I'm shipping for Nate and I'm asking, hey, you know, Nate, 
I know we deliver a lot to ABC Supply, reaching out to ABC Supply and saying, hey, you know, we deliver a lot to your location. We have trucks here three or four days a week. Wanted to see if you've got any loads going out to the same direction my guys are trying to backhaul because I might be able to get you a lower rate than what you guys are already paying and make it work out for everybody. My truck doesn't need to bounce to another shipper. You can just load him right up and send him right back on his way. Those are the efficiencies that work for everybody. And now you're really adding value without having to play the price game with your competitors, right? Yeah. And I think, so like you said, number two here is gaining new customers. I think the the prospecting and the follow-up piece are huge. And we've gone through so many different ways to go about doing this, whether, you know, whether it's the cold call or the referral, follow the BOL using your Google alerts, going to your chamber of commerce website. There's an endless amount of ways to do this, but you've got to put in the time and the reps to get your quote unquote pitch down. It's really, it's, it's your elevator pitch, right? I mean, you've, you've got a short amount of time on the phone before they decide if they're going to say no, thank you, or, you know, set up an actual, you know, another call with you or talk more business with you. Um, but you've got to go through and figure out what works for you. And you, I think you got to have a mix of a bunch of different um, types of prospecting. And the other side of that is the follow-up. You get to know once or an, I don't know once or a call me back once actually follow up with them. I think that's where the majority of people lose opportunities is by not following up, not sending that next email, not making that next phone call. And it's a killer. That's a, that's a great point. So some statistics on that. I saw this one yesterday on LinkedIn your acceptance rate for a message, let's just say you're prospecting through LinkedIn, right? Um, is about, I think, low one digit percentages for one message. So like one or two or 3% of people will respond if you just send a message out. But once you follow up, then the number is five. So six messages that you send to somebody, just exactly what Nate's talking about, even just in messages, not even phone calls on LinkedIn, the response rate gets into the 90% once you follow up five times. Now, same thing in sales, right? And it depends on the industry, but in our industry, it's about eight. So follow up, you need to follow up and reach out to a prospect an average of eight times before you're gonna get a yes. The other startling statistic is the average person follows up between two and three times before they give up. So if you're wondering why you're not seeing success, but you're only following up one or two people with prospects that you think there's a really big opportunity behind, there's a lot more opportunity just in your following up with your existing prospecting list. You don't yep. necessarily need to farm a whole other list. Like it's, have you done what you needed to do, as Nate said, with the list you already had? I've got two points on that, Ben. So the first one is, and I learned this very, very early on in my cold calling and cold prospecting day. So day one, maybe you add, 20 prospects in, right? Day two, you're not starting over with zero. Maybe you add 20 new ones in there, but you've also got another 20 that you already had. Day yes. three, now you're up to 60. And obviously the numbers are different for everybody. And as you grow your book and your pipeline, you're going to probably be adding less and less in bulk. But at the beginning, it's a lot because it's a lot of just cold outreach and stuff like that. So keep that in mind is that follow-up and that consistent feeding your pipeline. The second well, before you that, go back, before you go past God. that, because that's a really big one. And I think a lot of newer brokers aren't really catching that. They, they think that it's this insurmountable thing that they need to do every day. Like I have to do cold outreach to 60 or 80 people every day. Well, that's maybe day one. And as Nate pointed out by the second or third day, or even the second week, you should be following up 
with a good portion of the same list you started with a week or a few days ago. So those then become follow-ups. So pretty soon by the end of your first month or maybe six weeks in, yeah, maybe you're still making 80 calls a day, but 30 of those are follow-ups with prospects you've already spoken to. They are no longer cold. They become warm. And probably a handful of those are people you've established some level of rapport with, and you're looking forward to speaking with them and vice versa. So it's not just 80 cold outreaches. As you're progressing, that should be getting easier and more enjoyable, to be honest. Calling somebody that knows you is a lot easier than calling somebody that's never heard your name. Agreed. And I think another, the other, the second half to what I was going to say was to to become the master at overcoming objections. Okay. Now I don't want to say master like you have to be perfect at it, but when you when you get an objection, don't just say okay and hang up. Like I, I talked about this. Um, I gave an example months ago about a guy that who was actually a, a ref for a volleyball league that I was in last year. And he basically, um, he gave an objection on the phone to a broker who called on him to get freight, but he gave him basically gave him the whole, like, you know, not right now, but you may want to go hit up this guy. Instead, the dude didn't try to overcome the objection. He didn't even call the referral, nothing. So, uh, you know, the, the whole point here is if you get an objection or if you get a next a next step to take, actually take it. So I had an agent, um, I think it was either yesterday or two days ago, different one that was trying to get set up with a new customer. And the first, it was over email. I did like a bunch of email blasting and these, uh, it's a, it's a two person combo agency and they do a lot with uh, chemicals and hazmat and stuff like that. Um, but that's not all they do. So they went in there and they're like, Hey, you know, we do a lot of hazmat in your area. Here's what we're doing right now. Um, we'd love to be able to partner with you guys and help you out with some of your lanes. Got the objection back. We don't move any hazmat. And it's like, okay, well, we also do, you know, yep. B, C, D, and E. So it's like, and then he's like, well, that's cool, but we don't do this in that area. And he's like, well, great. Do you have anything going out of this way? And it's, you got to keep that going. And eventually by the end of the conversation, they got set up as an approved vendor all in one day. And it's the fact that they, they didn't let the conversation end. And I think a lot of people, if you're scared on the phone or even behind an email on behind the keyboard, you know, you've got to learn to get over that fear. So a few things on this. One is if this is something your office is struggling with, reach out to us. We'll schedule a free training with you guys on objection handling. It's something, you know, would be happy to do this year. The second part of this is there aren't very many different objections in this industry. You're going to get a lot of the same ones over and over again. They might sound different, but a lot of them are the same. Yes. So you should know what the main categories are and you should have an approach that you can consistently apply to the same things you're getting because they're really only going to fall under four things, right? It's either price, I can't afford this, procrastination, I'd like to think about it, purchaser, I need to talk this over with someone else or provider, I'm happy with who I'm using now. They're really only four categories of objections. And most people think that means no. The reality is, is a true objection and not a blow off, but a real objection is a buying sign. They are interested in learning more. They want to know if the issue they have in their head is something that you guys can overcome and then it makes sense to work together. The same way you ask yourself questions before you make a purchase is the same way they're evaluating a vendor, right? Oh yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And I think, so on objections, and I don't want to get too deep into it on this episode, but one of the things that I did early on in um, trying to figure out the best way to get fluid with overcoming objections and how to handle them and keep that conversation going was, believe it or not, flashcards, man. 
So oh, I had like yep. the top, the top objections written down. And I had, like you said, there's four main categories, but you might have like in that one objection type might be said five or 10 different ways. So I had like 20 to 30 flashcards that it had different types of objections as to why that person didn't want to give me a yes right there. And I'd go through them and just kind of, you know, it's almost like you're studying for a test back in high school or college. You're just kind of muscle memory learning and going through them. And you could even do the, the whole role play thing. I know it's a little awkward, but it's a really, really helpful and useful tool to do within your office or within your agency or your brokerage to, or just, you know, just your team, maybe it's you and a buddy just to kind of get fluid with it. You could have fun with it. And, and I think you should, because here's the thing, any other aspect of your life, if you want to get better at it, what would you expect yourself to have to do? Right. Practice. Yep. Practice, get reps, get reps, get reps. The more fluid you are, the less you seem caught off guard, the more confident you are and how you handle the objection is going to increase your efficacy tremendously just in yep. your tone of voice and how you sound when they throw that your way. Because guess what? And I talked to a few shippers in the past couple of weeks and you know what they said? They're like, look, I get 30 calls a day. So when somebody reaches out to me and it's somebody I really do want to possibly entertain bringing on as a carrier, I am intentionally going to throw them the same handful of objections to see how they handle them. I want to see if this person can think on their feet. I want to see if this is the kind of person I want to partner with and that I want to be trusting with my business. So in a lot of cases, they're literally just testing you to see if you're going to do push through, find a way or just give up. It's like dating, man. You know, when you first oh, meet yeah. somebody, I don't know about you, but when I met my wife, we didn't get married the next day. There's a whole lot of getting to, to know each other. And it's, it's almost like the same kind of objection thing where you ask questions and you kind of see how they react to it. And, you know, down the road, you know, the, the right, the right people pair up together. So it's a dance. Yeah. It's a, it's a dance. You're right. It is. You're right. Back it's and good forth. Stuff. Good stuff. Uh, so number two was was gaining new customers. And there's a whole lot of other stuff we could talk about on that, but we got to get through these five. So number three is all about grooming that carrier network. So we all know that as successful brokers, we're not going to be able to be successful if we don't have both sides of the equation. You've got to have the good, solid customer shipper relationships, and you've got to have on the other side, good quality motor carrier partner relationships as well. So I always loved, I, I, I've always encouraged people to call their carriers, their partner carriers, right? And when I say that, I actually mm -hmm. mean that they're your partner carriers, not just some one-off you found off the load boards, right? Load boards are great. You need to use them to establish relationships and find data and work that spot market. But when you can build a relationship and truly part, partner with these folks, that is going to be a huge way to get a leg up over your competition. Well, and I think to go a little further on that same point, right? Load boards have their purpose, but use them for what they're designed for with a goal in mind. The purpose is to find carriers that run lanes often that you can match up, that you can then do consistent business with and turn them into a partner over time. It's not that they're good or bad inherently. It's that look at what they're good for and then look at where you're trying to go with this as a goal throughout the year. And that's matching up carriers with lanes that inherently fit that carrier and your customer, because yep. that is the true value that brokers add to this market is the inter intermediary pulling people together that wouldn't have otherwise met and done business together. Yep. As brokers, we are logisticians and as logisticians, we need to be looking at how to plug and play things to be as efficient and as effective as possible. And that means understanding 
your carrier's fleet size and their equipment types and their, their driver's hour of service and where they have backhauls or where they need backhauls and you know, where they want to try to reposition their fleet to. It's not just, hey, I have one load, let me get a driver and oh, they don't want to pay or they, they want to get paid more than what the market rate is that I saw on you know, the, the load boards and the rating tools truly build and groom a relationship with them because you need these carriers. You really do. And here's some questions to ask, right? Just, you know, kind of off the top of my head, it's ask them where else they pick up, right? Ask them what lanes they typically run. Ask them not only how many drivers and assets they have, but ask them what lanes they would like to be looking for, right? Ask them how you can help find them some of the things they're looking for. Say, hey, you know, I know you guys run this lane a lot. What other lanes would you like to have if I come across them? And then sometimes the way I built my book of business was I started by covering loads under a senior broker. I was the mentee. He was the mentor. But once I knew his carriers, I used his carrier base to prospect going forward. I would then prospect the lanes that his carriers told me they wanted. So when I'm calling a shipper, it's, hey, I've got some carriers in your area. They would love to pick up this lane. I don't know if you have this, but if you do, it would probably make sense for us to look at possibly doing business together. You're adding value right out of the gate. You're not just a random cold call now. You come to the table with value. And that value is from the partners you established, as Nate just pointed out. Yep. And that is the difference between a good broker and a bad broker. You know, we talked about the turnover and, and brokerage at close to, was it 95% in the first two years? Something like yep. that? Oh, it's, yeah. Even like, 96. we looked at active MCs, right? Motor care authorities. It was like, uh, I don't remember the exact data, but it was like two out of three were inactive after the first like one to two years. So that goes yep. to show. Um, so good stuff. Grooming that carrier network. So number four is all about tools and technology. So investing in the tools and technology to improve your work and be more efficient. So um, we'll keep this high level because there's a lot of different tools to use. We're talking load boards. We're talking uh, data and analytics. We're talking CRM. We're talking TMS. Um, in, in transit visibility with GPS tracking and ELD um, integrations. There are so many tools out there. What we don't want you to do is to be the person that tries to be as cheap as possible and you pay for the cheapest available software out there. You don't have any kind of accounting system in place and you don't have any good carrier vetting options out there. You're not posting on the board. You're posting strictly on Facebook or whatever. I've, I've seen it all. I've seen it on freaking Reddit. People are posting loads on there. So spend the money, but you got to figure out what is the most valuable way for you to invest in your technology. Ben, what do you think? And I think the question you want to be asking yourself around technology is, the other side of that coin, and you don't want to go too far on the other end, which is paying for everything that sounds flashy yep. and has all the bells and whistles. You want to put it through whatever your vetting process is to, to analyze the ROI, right? What is your return on your investment? Mostly, it's going to be time. Hey, if we're going to spend some money here, we're not going to have to do this task or we can do this task more efficiently. That's phenomenal. If and only if you're going to use that time to do something else that's going to be driving your business, right? Doesn't do you much good if you're just gonna sit there and scroll through Facebook and watch YouTube. But if you're gonna outsource something and use one of these tools to free up time, getting on the phone and prospecting, now you're really driving efficiency on both ends of that income statement. You got revenue on your added time and you're reducing expenses by not having to do some of these tasks or paying some people to do some of them. 
Yep, I agree. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of the tools that I personally use and recommend. Number one, um, if you email a lot and if you don't have like the Microsoft or the Microsoft Office package and you're just doing it manually online, dude, pay, pay for the Microsoft yes. Office suite. Because I know some people that they literally, to save themselves the 10 bucks a month or whatever it is, or eight bucks a month, they're using an online version of Outlook or the fairly crappy Microsoft mail. They're using um, Google Sheets and Pages like solely and they're not, they don't have Microsoft Excel. You're, those are just rudimentary requirements. Well, and but, first off, yeah, before you go past that, we're not saying that there's anything wrong with Google Sheets or any of these things. Like Nate and I use them. They have a purpose. They allow you to share things differently. Like there is a place for these things, but the amount of time that you spend doing these things to save that money is typically way off. Yep. Oh yeah. So like for me, for example, when I'm at the, at the computer in the office, I got the dual monitors up and I've got my outlook up with all the features on it. You've got your calendar integrated into it. you you can schedule meetings in it. Um, it pops up reminders and alerts. You can flag stuff. Um, you know, what I use the, you know, the simple, like the little apps and stuff for is on an iPad. If I'm, you know, if I'm mobile for a little bit, or if I got the, the iPad or, mobile device out in the living room at night, or if I'm out meeting with a client for lunch or something like that, you can quickly and easily um, augment what you have back at the home base office and do it mobily. But I don't recommend it as your primary way of operating business because it's not as efficient. It's really cool that you can do it on the go, but it shouldn't be your primary. Absolutely. The other, the other part. So obviously your, you know, your productivity package, like your outlook and all that, but TMS, right? If you're not using a TMS, I don't know how you're operating. Cause that, I mean, there are some fairly, fairly price appropriate options out there of, for no matter what size you are, there's companies out there now that are doing a, a per load or per transaction fee to keep the cost down for the smaller folks. Right. We talked with um, some of the guys over at ECA and we may have them on for a, a show later this year to kind of talk through some of the cool cloud-based options out there and the different pricing um, options available for those smaller folks. So, but TMS, regardless, you've got to have one CRM, right. To keep track of all your prospects and your activity. Um, and then I don't know, Ben, what do you, what do you think? Those are kind of the big ones. For, obviously load boards, right. You've got to have data. You've got to have posting. You've got to have you need a load board. I mean, you need like a load board. You should be operating with DAT. And, and the reason for that is not just because of the reasons we've talked about, but also because there's a vastly larger number of carriers there. The likelihood you're going to get a load covered is much higher when there are obviously more carriers there looking for loads. But what that really means though, is that's less time you're spending covering your loads. You yeah. know, those minutes add up, those hours add up. When you're spending a ton of time trying to save money, that's really costing you money in the long run and just extending the amount of time it takes you, right? Always try to look at this. If you're not prospecting a certain amount every day, at the very least every week, like a few hundred and you're new at this business, you're never going to get where you need to go. It's going to take you forever. And you better have a lot of cash stockpiled away to be able to float this until you get there. So all of these things really do free up time to allow you to prospect more, to get more business in. And I think on, you know, I'll head on the load board piece again. So the, the whole point, you know, efficiency, but also um, you want to look at what's effective. So you, if you have a, a certain niche that you're operating in, one load board might not be the best for you. So for example, 
let's say you're covering a lot of expired hotshot freight, right? You may not be going to a truck stop or a DAT. You might be on the this uh, Selectus um, Alliance, which is through Omnitrax, which requires you to have an asset authority, which by the way, if you're in need of that kind of a, a home for your agency, you got to give me a call on that one because we're, we're set up and, and our agents are loving it. Um, but the other thing too is, let's say you have a, a niche with like bulk moves and bulk trailers. There's a load board. I think it's called bulk loads or whatever it is, but yep. there are niche load boards out there's there. There's a drayage load board too. I know there's yep. a drayage.com one that's for the UIA that you need to either I think you need to be a member of the UIA to, or you might be able to access without it, but there are definitely some niches. Look at what you're doing to be able to make these decisions. But, and why I say this is a general sense is that where I worked, I had access to literally every load board. Um, our company paid for every single one of them. So I could post to every single one at no cost to me. And I know for a fact how much of a larger portion mine got covered by DAT. And that's where, yep. you know, Nate and I talked about earlier, it's, just real world experience, knowing that the amount of time and effort that had to go into cover my loads was much less. I'm a, I, I'm a more so than posting and covering. I'm a big fan of the, of the rate view tool within DAT. I mean, that's, that's huge for looking at the rate trends over the last um, week and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, overall, you, you got to have the tech tools in place. Um, I did want to hit on one thing you said before too, is you don't want to overflow. There is literally a new tech vendor popping up like every single week in the freight industry and you don't need all of them. Right. That's like the dude that has every new product that comes out from Apple or from the early adopters. There's a whole segment of the population that will buy something just because it's new. And then there's the whole segment that follows them that wants to see what they have to say about it. Right. Yeah. And avenues like us, right. Listening to people that have done it, trying to get some insight into what works and you just got to find, you got to find that happy medium and figure out what works for you, but you got definitely got to invest right into the tools and tech. So number five, number five is to hire help when you are ready. And this can look a lot of different ways. So um, I'll look at kind of three main ways to do that. So number one is to literally hire a W2 employee full-time and put them in your office. Um, number two might be to rely on your brokerages, carrier sales department. If you're an agent, maybe you're going to utilize another person like that in your organization to help you cover freight. You're going to probably share some commission with them, but, um, you know, they're a, a way to bridge the gap as kind of a, as load as needed per loads. And the third option, and obviously we partner with lean for a reason is this contract based hiring. So a company like lean staffing, you're not locked in for a full year or anything like that. I think, you know, you're looking at a a couple months of commitment. It's a month to month type of uh, arrangement where you've got this near shore contract based, um, you know, employment contract and whether it's a operations person or an account manager, just a dispatcher doing check calls, they're dedicated to you. They learn you, your business, your TMS, all that stuff. And they're not working with anybody else. They're just yours. That's the cool part. Contract based. You have a lot more flexibility. You don't have to worry about having to, to lay somebody off because your business got slow, right? Well, yeah, you don't have the HR expenses associated with it. You're not interviewing, you're not dealing with benefits and all of the other, you know, big capital costs of bringing on new employees. And I think that was the part that I really liked that Lean does that, you know, a couple other companies in the market that are doing similar things, they don't have the ability to, you know, pay month to month, but these are employees that would literally be working for you. So if you bring on one or two people, it's not like they cover your loads and then some other companies this afternoon and then some other companies tomorrow, 
they are your employees. Yep. You train them. They are fluent in English. They're going to be working with you. They just literally won't be on site. So I want, I want to dig more into the, the hiring piece. I know I talked to, like I said before, I did a three-part series on it. So if you are a, an owner of a licensed freight brokerage, there's going to come a point where you're spending too much time on the back office where it is, you're taking time away from moving freight and you're spending too much time billing and reviewing paperwork and whatever other administrative tasks gone. You're cutting checks to carriers, you're sending invoices to customers, you're managing your cash flow and you know imaging all your PODs and all that stuff. It's, that's not where you're most effective. You're most effective. If you're a good broker, you're most effective when you're moving freight. So whether that is a, a back office nearshore option, or whether you go the agent route and have a back office provided for you, or whether you hire somebody, it's important to identify when that time, um, you know, when that time is. So when you when you don't have any more time and you can't grow at all, that's when it's time. So that's one option. If you're an agent, right, your back office is already covered for you. But let's say you've got so much business and you're you're literally just like, I'm waiting to close these new accounts. I'm really good at this, but I don't have the time. If I take on this new customer, I can't cover all their freight. That's when you have to start bringing in somebody on the operation side. Maybe you do a part-timer, right? Maybe you have somebody that just works four hours a day and they're doing, they're building loads for you or they're doing check calls for you or whatever it is. You've got to identify when the time is right for you to start bringing folks on. Otherwise, you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow. And I think that's the right way to go about it. One of the wrong ways to go about it is we've seen plenty of people go, I really hate cold calling. The first (laughs) thing I'm going to do is outsource my sales. Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Nobody is ever going to work as hard for your business as you are. You're constantly CCOs and business owners ask like, I just can't get them to care as much as I do. Nobody else ever will. No matter how dedicated they are, it's your business. This is the biggest driver in revenue. This needs to be something you're going to own. At least until you've got a place where you've got scaled up or two or three people and you've got enough business that this thing almost runs on its own. And now maybe you could start asking yourself those questions. So a great example, and I'm going to condense this story over like it was a two-year period, but I'll try to explain it as quick as possible. Guy comes on as an agent. It was him and his son. That was essentially it. They had a ton, ton of contacts in the industry. Um, he used to own a trucking company years back. So he had he had an in and a really good relationship report with a lot of produce um, sheds and produce shippers and farms and all that good stuff. But at first it was just him and his son and they busted their balls until they had no more time. And then he started bringing on some um, operations folks to help them out with making sure the loads were tracked and traced, making sure they were marked as picked up, check calls were made, they were delivered, clean BOLs, the scale tickets were there, the um, number of bags or um, the hundred weights were all updated in the system. So the accounting all matched up. Once that was done, they could bring on even more shippers. He started bringing on folks or promoting folks into account management slots. They weren't his salespeople that were prospecting. They were overseeing an existing account that he already had and that he maintained himself. So they were the go-to on getting all those loads every single day from that location. And then they worked on the team with the operations folks to make sure that they got covered and those loads were sold to carriers. It's so over about a two-year period, he went from, I don't know, maybe doing... 10K in profit his first month to he got up to almost $200,000 a month in gross profit. It's a ton of, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of loads a month that this guy is moving, but he built it up over time because he knew he could trust the right people. And, you know, it's not like every person he hired worked out. 
it's a trial and error type of thing. So you can, if you're ready to scale that kind of speed, you're just leaving money on the table if you don't. So. And I think and it brings up a really good point too, is that hiring is very difficult. I mean, always say the first hire and the first fire are the hardest ones, right? Yeah. And, but it's, it's even more that when you think about it, like companies that have entire departments that are people only educated to deal with this, that do this all day long, every day of the week, all year, still only are able to retain, you know, a yep. handful of percent out of a hundred, four or five out of a hundred, make it in the industry. So you want to realize that when you are interviewing and when you are hiring and you're making these decisions that like, it's very difficult. No matter who you are, no matter how good you are at it, there's a lot of risk and not everybody you hire is going to work out. Yeah. And the big thing too is just because you hire somebody doesn't mean they know how to do the job. You got to get them trained up. So yes. um, you got to have a good a good crash course in place on, on brokerage so they have the basics and the fundamentals and what better place to go than right to us at Freight 360. So Speaking of which, we'll put a little teaser out there. Nate and I are going to be putting together our freight broker course that should be out and available. What's our slated date? End of Q1? Yeah, it should be a tentatively in early Q2 is what we're thinking. So there's a lot of technology that goes into putting our content all into the right spot and learning management uh, system. We've, we're we've got a lot together. more content to produce. We're, we're working like dogs over here and you know putting together all the great information and trying to deliver the best product out there because- there's so many courses out there and I'm not a fan of go buy a, a course and you're good to go. This is a supplementary feature that goes along with, you've got to, you've got to have somebody that's going to be a mentor to you and, and coach you or hire you and still give you their training. And um, Ben, obviously with your coaching expertise, we, we will have coaching options available in there as well to help folks out. So um, definitely a, a, something I'm, I'm ex super, extremely excited for and I'm looking forward to with 2021. Yeah. And if, and any of the listeners that are out there, I mean, if you guys are consuming the content and it's helping you and it's helping you get more loads, get more business, make more money, have more time with your family. We are also putting out content on our blog every week alongside the topics that we're covering on our show. And we're putting out a YouTube video every week that is always going to be free. That is always going to be out there. So this is for all of you out there consume it. If this is helping you, these are two more avenues for you guys to get some of the same content, but maybe go into a little deeper and a little different, you know, avenues. Absolutely. So that's it. Five ways to grow your book of business in 2021. Let us know what you think. Check out the show notes too. You'll actually see the links for, for DAT in there on how to get your free month of debt power, debt express and debt truckers edge, depending if you're a broker or a carrier and what your needs are. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of, of debt power myself. Um, rate view, Again, very, very, very great tool. Um, I think DAT said they're going to be launching some new products this year as well and kind of changing up the names and the features and basically making them more simple. So um, stay tuned for all that good stuff. Ben, what I did want to wrap up with is now that we're in postseason for the NFL, unless you have anything else on five ways to grow, but I want to hit on the Steelers and the Bills. Okay. So Saturday, one o'clock, Bills hosting the Indianapolis Colts this is like a seven point favor for Buffalo. I think Buffalo has a double digit win. And I also think that Pittsburgh is going to have a good win over Cleveland, which I believe means that we'll be seeing you in Buffalo the next weekend. What do you think? I think so. I'm really excited. And it's, Ooh. 
You and I talk about this a lot. I, my NFL interest peaks as the season progresses, as things get ironed out and as it gets riskier. And especially once we get into the playoffs, like I, I really get excited for some of the games. I'm really excited to watch the Bills game Saturday and the Steelers game Sunday. Um, I mean, the hope is that I, I really think they should be easy wins for both teams. So hopefully it's not a too stressful game for either one of us. Yep. But it'd be really cool for them to meet the week after. Oh, yeah. And then I think at the bottom of the bracket, you've got uh, Tennessee and Baltimore. I think Tennessee takes that one and ends up um, playing in Kansas City for the next uh, for the next round as well. So one thing that's interesting is since they added a they took away a first round by and added a wild card. So now instead of six teams, there are seven teams. What they're doing is they do it after the first round. They're doing a reseed. So depending on how the games shake up this weekend, Kansas City does not necessarily play the winner of Baltimore and Mm -hmm. Tennessee. So let's say, for example, Pittsburgh lost and Cleveland won. Cleveland would be the lowest seed because they're seven. They play the winner. They play. Yeah, they'd actually reseed the brackets and then they play in Kansas City. So but hey, that's not going to happen. Calling it right now. It's going to be Pittsburgh and Buffalo for the divisional round. Looking forward to it. If there wasn't COVID, I would have come up and watched the game with you. Right. right? What are your final thoughts, Ben? Good episode, right? Yeah. I mean, we're going to jump into the social media questions. Oh, yeah. How can I forget? Mm. All right. We'll do these really quick, really quick. Um, First one is on hazmat. Curious how many of you have to deal with hazmat placards? Do your shippers know they must... Do your shippers know they must provide and mount them or do you normally get the carrier driver to? So the rule of thumb here is that anything hazmat is to be per, uh, provided and prepared by the shipper. So if it's and the same thing goes with international, right? If you've got customs paperwork, your shipper needs to have that stuff prepared. Now, in the case that a shipper does not have the right placards you, as a broker, you need to make sure your driver fully understands what they're hauling and that they're endorsed to haul hazmat. And a lot of these drivers will, if they haul hazmat often, they're going to probably already have placards on their truck. If not, they'll have the, the stickers and the cab that they can slap on the side, but it is extremely important to make sure you understand the classifications and what that placard is. that has to be on there. Um, not to get too deep into hazmat, but typically the highest, or most dangerous uh, hazmat on there. If you've got multiple classes, that needs to be the placard that's listed on there. So if you have like 1.3 and 1.2 explosives, 1.2 is going to be on there. Uh, There's some other nuance. Sometimes you'll have like two different placards or even three in some cases. It gets all kind of crazy. We're not going to get too deep into it. Um, Next question. As a broker, how can I find reviews on my brokerage? This was asked by a broker who's fairly new. So, Ben, I'm curious what you have to say. I know that I usually go to the the DAT directory. Um, I, I've always looked at my own company on there and not to mention specific agent branches to see how the uh, the carriers are leaving feedback. Um, Google's thing. another good one. Truckstop's got reviews. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. Google, DAT, I would peruse Truckstop occasionally or just look at the other load boards to just see what the other reviews were just to get a flavor for them. Um, I think Google and DAT are probably your most comprehensive ones where you're going to see the most reviews. And for me, I always look from negative to positive just to see what those are. And I always look to see if there's a response because you're never going to avoid negative feedback. You're never going to avoid the negative review, somebody having a bad day. There's great content out there on just the human nature of people tending to relieve a negative review over a positive one on a positive experience. So take them with a grain of salt, but I mean, 
that's where you're going to find them. Yep. That's, that's what I was going to say is make sure you reply to all of them. If you, you know, broker or carrier reply to all your reviews, respond to them, whether they're good or bad. It's that simple. It shows you care and it shows you are actually paying attention to them. So good stuff. Good stuff. Final thoughts. Looking forward to 2021 for a lot of reasons. I'm really excited for this year. I think, you know, the fact that we've got a vaccine, nothing to say for the fact that the rollout's been a little slower than expected. I think we got the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel as far as that's going. I think, I mean, this is just a year of opportunity. I mean, perspective from last year for a lot of people, there is nowhere to go but up. I'm really excited for it. I think, you know, what we covered today are some great overview topics, but I mean, transportation is looking great. I think the industry looks great going into this year. There's a lot of freight to move. I mean, there's a little lull. It's usually the slowest week of the year right now of every year. But what the import volumes look great. I think our market looks great for all of our shippers out there, as well as the brokers and carriers. So I think it's going to be a great year. Love it. It is good. The light at the end of the tunnel. So we'll see what the next uh, the next dumpster, dumpster fire is to come our way. But there's always going to be something else. My favorite meme on that, and I used to post it all the time, it just said, I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, so I lit that bitch up myself. And it just always reminded <laughs> me of like, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. You always take it <laughs> in your own hands, man. And until next time, go Bells. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.